family is all about him. And if you went to heaven right now, you would find real quick that everything in heaven is about Jesus. Amen. And while we're on earth, we want everything to be about Jesus here in our presence. Praise the Lord. Good to see you in the house of the Lord today, and today I want to speak to you from the, the Word of God in Numbers chapter 11, uh, verses 4 all the way through 34, several things I want us to look at. One of my all-time favorite Old Testament characters, and there are many interesting, colorful characters in the Old Testament, but one of my favorites is Moses. In fact, he's an icon to the Jewish people. Uh, he's, in fact, in the book of Hebrews, they, the, the people of Israel had a tendency to put Moses higher than the angels and higher than Jesus. And, but, but the fact of the matter is Moses was a mere human being just like you and I. In fact, uh, but I like him very much because of his humanity. He was frail. He was fragile. He was fallible. But he was used by God in a very great way. Now, that's why I like the story of Moses, because it reminds me that as incapable and as uh, unable as I am as a human to, to lead and to serve God, uh, there's great possibilities with the power of God's strength. T today, I, I, I've, I've titled this sermon, Five Things Every Faithful Servant Leader Must Forget. Uh, if we look at 2019 and we look at areas that we need to really serve the Lord in, uh, and we want to be effective like Moses, we want to finish well, amen? We, we want to do our job. And everyone who is saved, everyone who is born again and has been brought into the family of God has this awesome responsibility to serve the Lord. And we need to realize that we're going to be judged according to the giftings that God gave us to contribute to the body of Christ. And uh, you can't go to heaven and say, well, I didn't do this because of her or I didn't do this because of him. You're going to stand and give an account of the things that God has blessed you with that your job as a believer is to contribute to the body of Christ. All of us are servants. All of us serve the King of King and the Lord of Lords. Moses had a, a tremendous task in that he was to lead God's chosen people, and it didn't come easy for him. In fact, when God says, I want you to lead my four million uh, uh, slaves out of Egypt and take them to the promised land, Moses said, I, I can't do that. I can't speak. And, and, and he argued basically, basically with God, says, I'm, I'm incapable. I'm just a shepherd guy. You know, Lord, you're asking me to do too much. You're presuming that I'm going to be this great dynamic leader. I'm not going to be able to do this. And finally, they bantered together and against each other. And finally, God allowed Moses to select Aaron to be his spokesman because Moses was slow to speak. He had a speech impediment. And I, I can relate to that because when I had a brain tumor when I was in high school, it left me impaired with my speech. And uh, when God called me to preach, I'm thinking, well, are you kidding me? I, I, I didn't even want to speak in public. I didn't even want to speak to anyone, basically, because I was so afraid that someone would laugh or make fun of me. And, uh, but I can understand the fear, the trepidation that Moses had when God said, lead my four million people to the promised land. It just overwhelmed him. And he was just filled with his own lack of confidence. 
Now, if our knowledge of Moses was limited to Charlton Heston's portrayal of him in the movie called The Ten Commandments, we would be at loss to learn any lessons from him altogether. Because in that movie, as I've seen it, and I'm sure you've seen it, uh, he's more than a man. In fact, he's bigger than life. And whenever Charlton Heston spoke, it was like this big bellowing voice. I'm thinking, that's not biblical. Uh, and you see that he was confident, but really the real Moses that we see in the Bible struggled with his own personal sin. He struggled with his own lack of confidence. He struggled with the task of being a leader and he struggled with self-confidence. He had all kinds of things that kind of, that, that bird dogged him and just really pulled him down. So, and yet we see God uses him despite of all of his frailties. Moses was a great man, and he was a great servant. And when we examine his life, there's a lot for us to learn from this effective servant who God used greatly. And we're going to take a closer look, a snapshot into the life of Moses in Numbers chapter 11. And, and there, are, there, there are five things that we need to forget as being servants if we want to finish well for the glory of God. And Moses did exactly what he was supposed to do. He successfully led four million people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and took them to the promised land. And they were journeying through the wilderness on this way to the promised land, and there were many problems. Now, you've got to remember that in Egypt, all of the Israelites had been slaves, uh, Moses brought them out of captivity. He was in the process of leading them to this land filled with milk and honey, a land that would be filled with freedom and prosperity for the people of God, and they could come out of the ditch of slavery and, and rise to a place of a beautiful country that would honor and glorify God. So we know that the story took place between Egypt and the promised land, between A and B. This is the, this is the window of time that we see the lessons that God gave uh, to the to the people of Israel and also lessons of Moses. In fact, as they were traveling through the wilderness, God provided for them every day. God says, I'm not going to let your shoes wear out. He says, I'm not going to let you go hungry. In fact, God provided this special food called manna. Uh, we've never had anything like that, but this manna was a little white bread, and it was filled with all kinds of nutrition for the human body to keep them strong, to keep them healthy, keep them from getting sick. And it was something that they ate every morning. They would go out and the ground, like snow, would be filled with this sweet bread. And they would pick it up, scoop it up, and they would make manna stew out of it. They would make manna cakes, manna burgers, and uh, they, they made manna casseroles like we do. And they made manna surprise, whatever that wants to be. And, and guess what? Over a period of time, after they ate all this manna, the people got tired of this manna and they began to complain. And uh, they, they begin to say, oh, if only we were back in Egypt and we could have meat. Oh, if we could have, uh, we could have some cucumbers and garlic and onions and melons. And oh, we ate good. Even though we were in slavery and we were beat down, we sure ate good while we were in Egypt. And, and now we get nothing but manna. The people got tired of God's provision. And, and and the Bible tells us that Moses became very frustrated with the attitude of the people. And he went to God in effect and saying, why are you putting me in this situation where I got to deal with these ungrateful people? And he says, I can't make these people happy. And, and, and Moses said, well, Lord, because you put me in this situation, I'd rather you just kill me and let me get out of my misery. 
And God basically told Moses, well, no, you need to change your style of leadership. And God told him, I want you to choose 70 men out of these 4 million people. And I want you to choose 70 men and they will help you carry the burdens. And they're going to help you carry on this great work. And trust me, I will help you get through this. I will help you get to the promised land. Uh, and through this course of this story, Moses learned to forget five things that every effective servant, every coach, every boss, every parent, every pastor, teacher, church member, and every manager must always forget. Now, I want to speak to you about five of these things, and I'm going to go quickly through them. I know it's 11 o'clock, but we'll be done by two. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Aren't we spiritual this morning? Here we go. Number one. No, we'll be done by 1.30. Number one. Here are five things. Number one, forget about winning a popularity contest. You need to forget if you're going to be a servant for Jesus Christ, forget about being popular. In fact, notice what Numbers 11, 4, and 6 says. Then the foreign rabble, I love how God calls the complaints of these people rabble. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain, oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic we wanted. But now... But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. Now, in spite of all the great things Moses had accomplished, there were disgruntled people in the camp. Uh, they were mad at Moses because they had to eat manna every day. They suddenly became nostalgic for the fish and the vegetables that they enjoyed in Egypt. And these people remembered fondly the food from Egypt. However, they conveniently forgot how inhumanely they were treated as slaves, how they were forced to do back-breaking work in the scorching sun while the Egyptians sat in the shade enjoying, enjoying the benefits of owning slaves. These people should have been thrilled that Moses took them out of that hardship of hard labor, what he had done for them. But suddenly, Moses now had become a target of their anger. You see, that's the way it gets at times when you serve and you work with people. There are many people who have an ungrateful spirit, and no matter what you do or how hard you work, there are going to be people that are going to say negative things about you. I have found this, pastoring in 40-some years, this is the number one complaint why people quit, why people walk away and they never come back and serve God again. It's because when they get in to serve, there are people in the peripheral of the ministry who will criticize them, and even though they're doing the best work they possibly can, there are people in the peanut gallery that will just say all kinds of awful things and do terrible things. And, and we need to guard ourselves and remind ourselves that when you set out the serve God. It is not a popularity contest. God didn't call you to be popular. He called you to be faithful. He called you to do the work despite of what people might say. So forget about winning a popularity contest because no matter what you do, there will always be disgruntled people to deal with. And all God's people said, amen. amen. I've learned in the ministry, you can't always make everyone happy. 
And uh, some people will not understand the mission that God has given you. They won't understand your work. Uh, and, and you need to realize that no matter what you do, somebody's going to say something negative. And you need to pray for God's inoculation that you can ward off the criticism that comes your way. I was reading a blog the other day, and it was about Nick Saban. He's the coach for the Alabama University. And uh, it was written by some of the fans. And I was thinking it was going to be this glowing thing because... Uh, he's had a perfect record leading the Alabama, Alabama University in uh, no defeats this whole year. And uh, I think 25 games they've played, and they've won every one. And I was reading what the fans were saying. They didn't like his attitude. They didn't like his spirit. They didn't like his anger when he would get mad during a game. He would throw his, his speaker off his head. And uh, they were just, they had this litany of lists of things they didn't like. And I thought to myself, but how do you improve on a perfect record? How do you improve that this man has taken this university to several national titles? But that's just the point. No matter how well you do your job, there will be people who will come alongside of you and complain. And if in your area of service and leadership, you begin through a, a real barren time or a time of wilderness, these people will turn up the heat and they'll say everything and do everything to make your life miserable. That's what happened to Moses. Moses, thank God, he was able to forget about being Mr. Popular and forget about having everyone to love you, that's a wonderful thing. I, I'm, I'm like you are. I, I, don't want peop, I don't want to be the object of someone's anger. I don't want to be the object of, of someone's complaint. I, I, I want people to love me. I want people to love me. That was my biggest issue of being a, as a pastor is to get past people and do what God calls us to do. And we got to keep focused on the most important thing, and that is to do the work that God has called us to do. And then also, and while we're on that subject of disgruntled people, I'll point out something. God said to Moses in Numbers verses, uh, chapter 11, verse 18 and 20, God said this to Moses, they're tired of my manna, so I will give them quail or birds to eat. And before too long, they'll be sick and tired of the meat also. That's the way it is with disgruntled people. No matter what you do, they'll find something to gripe about, but forget about a popularity contest. God has called us to be faithful, to stay on track, to do what God has called us to do. And then number two, the second thing we're supposed to forget, and that is about, forget about doing it on your own. I, now, a lot of people are like, in fact, I've been told this, if you want something done, do it yourself. You know, you've heard that. And many times people in ministry, they get in to serve the Lord. They have this mentality, I'll just do it by myself. But that's really a burden that we're placing on ourselves that God never intends. And what the rabble began to complain about to Moses, Moses began to complain to God. And after he poured his heart to God, uh, he came to the point where God said uh, that, that, hey, I want you to pick out some men to help you. Numbers eleven fourteen, Moses says, I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. Serving God, many times, it's a broad ministry. There are so many vast needs. In fact, one of the, it's like a tsunami can, can come over you. And one morning, you might get 20 calls of people that are sinking. You're thinking, I'm just one person. How can I do this by myself? Uh, you have marriages that are crumbling, and there's death, and then there's, there's uh, divorce issues that are impending, and there's so many areas where people are scratching on the side of your life saying, help me, I'm sinking, and if you're a good pastor, you'll save me. And you get overwhelmed. But I've come to realize that you can't serve the Lord 
by yourself. Every servant must come to the point where he realizes that he or she has been called to be a faithful servant, not a savior. And there's a difference. Jesus Christ came into the world to be a savior, and he single-handedly paid the price of our sins. On the cross, he paid for all the sins of all mankind, past, present, and future. They buried him. On the third day, he conquered the grave, and he walked out, and he gave all of us, the hope of eternal life if we put our faith and trust in him. He carried the weight of our sins, but you and I cannot do that. We're human. You may be called to be a servant, but you're not called to be a savior. So forget about doing it on your own without anyone's help. If you want to be a faithful servant, you've got to develop a team mentality. It takes a group of people to get the job done effectively. And, and I'm here as a leader, as I'm here as a servant of the Lord in this generation, in this time, and I cannot do it by myself. I need you. I need your help. I need us to work together. There are some people who just love to sit in the critic, in the critic stand or the peanut gallery and just throw rocks. God didn't call you to sit up there and just to beat down servants. God called you to roll up your sleeves, join the team, and become a part of the solution instead of being part of the problem. And all God's people said... Amen. We are the body of Christ. We need to serve together. That's why we have committees. That's why we have leadership team. That's one reason why I'm doing this leadership team of 50 strong men in our church. I thought, well, gracious, if Moses needed 70 men to stand with him, boy, I would thank God for a church this size that God will give me 50 men that will come out 12 times out of the year to pray and to work together and to really give instruction how 50 men can come and support the leadership of our great church crossroads. One person can't carry the example of many ministries. Numbers eleven sixteen. then the Lord said to Moses, gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Bring them to the church. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. Moses, get you 70 good men. Let them come and let them be an encouragement. Let them stand with you. Let them pray with you. Let them help shoulder the burden with you. And I encourage you as we are looking at this Iron Man gathering, I'm looking for 50 men and I'm going to be making phone calls and I'm going to be saying, hey, I need you. I need your help from 2019. I want to hope for growth. I don't want to stay over here in a corner by myself. I want you to join in with me. I want you to know what I'm burdened about, what I'm concerned about. I want you to come alongside of me and pray with me. I want you to help me. And if you love your church and if you love the kingdom of God and you want to see the church to progress forward, then you ought to just say, I want to do all I can to see the lighthouse of Jesus in our community to stand strong and tall for the glory of God. And you can make a difference. You can make a difference. And then number three, here's the third thing you need to forget, and that is forget about giving up. <laughs> In fact, <clears throat> Moses was pouring his heart out to God. He said something I, I find very interesting. Numbers eleven fifteen. if this is how you intend this thing to happen, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. It's interesting. If this is how you intend to treat me, if you put me under this pressure of leadership and this thing is going to cause me to implode, just go ahead and kill me, Lord. Do me a favor and spare me this misery of leadership. Shakespeare said, uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. Do you know what Moses is saying? He's saying, Lord, I'd rather die than fail. 
If this is the way it's going to be, then put me out of my misery because I don't want to give up and I don't want to witness my own ruin. But Lord, if you kill me, then that's a dignified way to get out of the problem. I was reading about Dr. Adrian Rogers. It's probably, he's with the Lord now, but probably one of the greatest pastors in America. Uh, he pastored one of the largest churches in North America. But when he first began his ministry, I read his uh, autobiography, and he talked about his, the very beginning of his ministry. He struggled, and the church was always on the brink of failure and, and for many years. And at one point, while he was in his mid-30s, he prayed, Lord, let me die of a heart attack so I can easily fail with dignity. He had made up his mind, I can't quit. That would be a terrible sign to hundreds and thousands of believers. I can't quit. But Lord, if you kill me, I can get out of this. Absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. He didn't want to quit, but he was beginning to wonder if he would ever succeed. And he decided he would rather die than give up. In the process, he learned a valuable lesson about the need for commitment in a servant position. If, if you want to be a faithful servant leader, you have to be committed to the task. And you have to be able to say, I would rather die than fail. There's no turning back. You can't quit on the Lord. If you quit, where are you going to go? To the world? The world's dying and going to hell. The world has, is lost. It, it doesn't have a mission. It doesn't have an eternity. We are the children of God. There are no retirement programs for the people of God. I was talking to my dad over the holidays, and he's going to be 98 years old this year. 98. My mom prophesied, your dad's going to be around that church toddling like an old man with his cane. He said, he's going to be 100 years old. Hey, he's only two years away from filling that prophecy. He's 98 and he's still, and you know what he does? Uh, he's already, two years ago, he had a massive stroke. And uh, I, he said, oh, the Lord got me through all that. Every Sunday morning he gets up and uh, he gets all his bones moving in, in concert. And he gets together, he gets a shower and gets dressed and he goes to church. And he said, I, I want to take my class back. And he's been teaching his class. And he, he told Carlo, my brother-in-law, who's the pastor, he said, uh, and uh, I, I want to preach more in 2019. And uh, he's preaching, ministering, serving. He rides his bike. He exercises. Uh, every time I'd see him, he goes, what are you doing about that weight? I'm, I'm looking at it. <laughs> I'm looking at it and I'm praying about it. He always tells me, you need, you, need, you need to take care of yourself so you be around a long time. I said, so dad, how's the rest of your life going? But he's doing great. He's 98. He's not going to quit. He said, I'd rather just dying right with my boots on while I'm teaching the Bible. He said, I just want to be faithful. He's not going to quit. You got to forget about giving up. And there are times that every servant faces a situation in which walking away is the most attractive option. <laughs> Sometimes I thought, but maybe it's good to claim mental insanity. You, you'll catch yourself thinking, if I could just wash my hands of this mess and get away from it once and for all, my life would be so much easier. And that may be true, but you'll be walking away from what God has called you to do. And something will come upon you that you didn't realize. And that is you lose the anointing when you walk away from what God has intended for you. 
He gives us power to be witnesses. He gives us power to function. But don't let the devil deceive you. When you walk away, you lose the reward, you lose the anointing, and you lose out your spiritual blessings. You just stay with the stuff. I like what Joel said this morning. Sometimes when we are in the fiery furnace, we can pray, God, just take me away. But we can't do that. we got to say, God, help me go through the fire. I love what that, the song that the praise team sang, even if. I love that song. And then number four, forget the meaning of the word impossible when you're serving God. Because many times we get overwhelmed with the impossibilities or the roadblocks of service. Notice what Numbers 11, 21 and 23 says. But Moses responded to the Lord. Remember, God says, give these people meat to eat. Give them meat. Moses responded to the Lord, God, there are 600,000 foot soldiers here with me. And you say, I'll give them meat for a whole month. Even if we butchered all of our flocks and our herds. Would that satisfy them? Even if we caught all the fish in the sea, would that be enough? Then the Lord said to Moses, has my arm lost its power? Now you will see whether or not my word comes true. In other words, he was arguing with God. We're at impasse. We can't go forward. I've got these naysayers. I got this disgruntled people, and I just feel like taking this job and... Moses was discouraged. When God told Moses that the people of Israel would be eating meat until they were more satisfied, Moses said, but Lord, there's not enough meat in the camp. Moses is looking around at four million people, and he looks at his little herd of animals and saying, man, we'll devour that meat. If we used up all of our herd, we'll devour all this, all this meat within three days. And you're telling me that we're going to have meat for a month? I've got 600,000 soldiers who have huge appetites. There's no way we're going to make it. This is impossible. And that's probably a true statement. But then Moses did what many servant leaders do when they're stressed out. In his mind, he began to make the situation worse by exaggerating the problem bigger than it was. And Moses says, there's not even enough fish in the whole sea to feed these people. We know that's nonsense. Isn't it true when we get stressed out, when we really get down, we always go to the extreme worse. We make things worse than they are. We blow everything. And then we heap on some exaggeration. And then when Moses was getting smart with God, <laughs> God said his response was straight and simple. He said, my arm isn't short, Moses. God is saying, when you work for me, the word impossible does not exist. There's nothing that I can't do. Now, let me tell you something. You might be at an impasse. You might look at it and saying, there's a roadblock here. I don't know how. I think I'm going to resign. I think I'm just going to quit. Let me tell you something. You stand still and wait on the power of God to see you through it. A few verses later, the Bible tells us that God sent a great wind over the sea and he drove the birds or quail in from the sea. And the people went out and they gathered all the birds that they wanted. And for a month, they had all kinds of bird. And isn't it amazing that Moses had to be reprimanded? After all, he witnessed the burning bush. 
He witnessed the plagues of Egypt. He, he witnessed the parting of the Red Sea. And now he was saying, God, what you're telling us, feeding us meat for a month is impossible. How quickly we forget what God has done in our lives. It is a miracle that we are here today in the year 2019. It is a miracle by God's grace he has sustained us. And we're here breathing and praising God. It's a miracle. The devil had his way. He had wiped us all out a long time ago. The forces of hell have come against you and me. And yet God's grace trumped the works of the devil. And here we are standing in God's strength, God has blessed us with great provision. God has blessed us with sustaining strength. Look to your neighbor and say, I'm here by God's help. Can you do that? What a great confession. Instead of forgetting what God has done for us, we need to forget the meaning of the word impossible because when God is involved, no situation is impossible. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. With God, all things are possible. With God, there's no such thing as a win, a no-win scenario. And then number five, and then I'm through, and all God's people said, amen. Number five, forget about setting, settling your own scores. Forget about settling your own scores. Now watch what verses 33 and 34 says in the scripture. But while they were gorging themselves, these are all the critics. They were gorging themselves on the meat while it was still in their mouths. And the anger of the Lord blazed against the people. And he struck them with a severe plague. So that the place was called Kibroth Hadava, which means graves of gluttony. Because they, there they buried the people who had craved meat from Egypt. When this rabble or complaints rose up against Moses and they complained about the food, they made God angry. They were not just rebelling against the ministry of Moses and the leadership of Moses. They were rebelling against God. God, not Moses, was responsible for getting them out of Egypt. May I remind you, God, not Moses, was directing them to the promised land. And may I remind you, God, not Moses, was providing for their needs during their journey. Moses had nothing to do with any of those things. This was the act of God. And when they complained, they incurred God's wrath. The people of Israel went out to gather quail and they began to eat. And the Bible says that it soured in their mouths. By the way, I recommend you to mark these verses in your Bible and read them to your children the next time they complain about what they eat for dinner. You see, the more important lesson for us to learn is that God will sell his scores. The lesson is not that God will kill off all your complainers. The, 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 the lesson here is that God will settle his own scores and it's not a servant's or leader's job to get revenge. And there are so many people get bitter. They get obsessed about maybe one thing someone says, complaints. Dr. Lee Robertson, who was a great pastor of the Highland Park Baptist Church, who was chancellor of our school or had graduated from Temple University, he'd always say, don't give attention to criticism and don't give attention to praise. You focus on the work God's called you to do and finish your job well. I can't tell you how many times that stayed with me. There will be people that will praise you one day and will crucify you on Friday night. You know what? But you know what? We're not here. 
to please people. We're not here to make people happy. We're here to fulfill the purpose and the plan of God. And when you embrace that magnificent principle, you will stay the course and you'll finish your job well. Moses didn't seek revenge. That's why he went down as one of the great heroes. He never did seek revenge. Moses didn't seek revenge. He let God take care of the situation. That's why the apostle Paul says, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, neither give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. He's saying as a servant leader, you got to be big enough to treat your critics with kindness. Forget about settling the score. That's God's job. He'll take care of it. Trust God with the people around you and concentrate on fulfilling the work that God has called you. That's what it being an effective servant comes down to. Recognize that this is God's project. This church crossroads is God's. I, I, I'm just a manager. I'm just a conduit that God placed here as a pastor to shepherd the people of God, to lead our church, to get his ear and to get his heartbeat for the mission of this church. And it's easy for me to, and I get letters, I get quacky letters and hate mail. I get that. And I've learned, in fact, when it comes, I've learned just to tear it up. If their name is not on the bottom of the letter, I don't read it. Because I'm not going to listen to some coward's rant. I'm not going to. I'm going to do what God called me to do. And you might love me. You might hate me. The fact of the matter is, what's relevant is me doing the job that God called me to do, and you do the job that God has called you to do. Join forces, and for God's sake, for the kingdom of God, let's see the work of Jesus Christ go forward. This is why when it comes to ministry, there are so many things we have to forget. We have to forget about being popular. We have to forget about doing it on our own. We have to forget about giving up because we're called to a lifetime work. We have to forget about things that are impossible because with God, all things are possible. We have to forget about getting revenge. Don't worry about people. Get past people. See the calling that God has on your life. Serve him with all of your heart. And one day you will see him very, very soon. And when you see him, you're going to say, I'm glad I stayed with the stuff. And he's going to look at you. And he's going to see that weary look on your face. And he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You stayed the course. You have finished the fight. And now welcome into the joys of your home in heaven. I don't want to go out of failure. I'm 63, I'll be 64 this year. I don't know how much more time I have. I might have 25 years left. I hope, I, I pray I get 25, maybe 100 like my dad. All I know is I want to finish well, and when I see him, I want to see that smile, and I want him to, to look at me in the face and say, well done. You did it.
You did it. That's my purpose of living, is to please him. He's worthy of it all. He's my savior. He took me out of the miry pit. He took me out of the book of hell and put my name on the book of heaven. He's the one that united me with my loved ones on the other side. He's the one that created a home for me forever in heaven. He is my God, my savior, my Lord, and I want to please him. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. You're a servant. You might be an inactive servant. Somehow you have chose to opt out. There is no opting out. Your day's coming. Either through rapture or death. You'll see him. Don't go out with a lukewarm, indifferent, inactive Christian life. Serve him. I don't care what kind of corner in ministry you have to pick up and carry. Pick it up. Do something. Tithe. Attend church. Be faithful. Get involved. Men, I need 50 men. I need 50 men. 50. Sam, I'm going to jump in there. I'm going to do what I can. Women, we're aiming to build up a great women's ministry this year. I want to jump in and just do more than go to fellowships. I want to do more to, to integrate into the lives of people. I want to build people up in the faith. I want to make a difference. You can serve. If you can sing, you can join the praise team. If you can play an instrument, play. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do something, do something, do something. Father, we thank you. 